Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. Please stand with me as we read Genesis chapter 21. Praising God, we are now in Genesis 21, almost halfway through the book of Genesis. Open your Bibles. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abram a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman will, shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac, your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Pico, the commander of his army, said to Abram, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, 
So you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took a ship and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore the place was called Beersheba, because both of them swore an oath. So they made an, a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Pekal, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. And we thank you, God, for the finished work of Jesus Christ, where we can always rejoice in the midst of brokenness around us. And we thank you, Lord, that we can trust that you will finish what you have started. Today, Father, we pray that as your word will be preached to us, Lord, we pray that you will bring to life hearts that are dead before you and strengthen hearts, Lord, that are struggling before you and fill the hearts that are empty with your joy and assurance. Bless the preaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Your best life now. It's a title of the book, one of the best-selling books, actually. I believe in all of Christian history. And you think, why did people go crazy to get this book? I think it reflects the heart of men, that everyone wants to have their best life now. Among us here who... Do not want your best life today. People fantasized of their dream life. And I think many people do not just want to make earth their haven, but many people want to make earth their heaven. We want to have our best life now. But I realized that there could be nothing more misleading than to say you can have your best life now. That's very misleading. And, and if you are wise, you begin to smell something of it. Your theological nose should smell something fishy in there because you are promised to have your best life today. And yet, if you look around you, life is getting harder, not better. Should we really expect our best life now? We realize that as we wait for the return of Christ, how would life be? How will life be? How life will be? That's the message for us today. That's our title. We will be talking about the reality of life while waiting for Christ. I think that's a very relevant topic to talk 
what is what will be the situation what will be the reality of life as we wait for Christ returns Christ return and i believe this is very important to keep us from pursuing in our mind pursuing a perfect life that would never happen in this side of heaven to understand this church that that desire of us to have a perfect life today in the side of heaven, it would never happen. But also for the more practical reason that we would not live lives with high frustrations. High frustrations in life, it's maybe because of wrong expectations in life. You work very hard because you thought it is key to everything. If I'll, if I'll have a good job, if I'll have, if I'll have a right pay, a good pay, then I would be happy. I would have a good life, a good family, a better children, because they are well provided. And when you earn that much, you realize that your expectations, that things will fall into place, did not happen. And you begin to be frustrated and you air out your frustration. I have worked hard. I have worked so hard just to feed you. But what have you done? Or maybe we have heard people or maybe ourselves have said already this one. I just want to be happy. But why can't I be happy? Why can't it be given to me? Why can't I arrive on my ideal life? Which is when we look at that ideal life. Many times it resembles a perfect life. As we approach our text today, we realize, or maybe you're asking as we were reading, Pas, what are you doing? Why are you putting all these stories together? Uh, these, are three sto these are three stories that can stand alone. Why are you putting all these three stories? And that's also my question. I want to spend one Sunday at least in the, in the fulfillment of the promised son. But as I look at it, I realize this is a trilogy. This is a trilogy, three stories that sends one message. As I was beginning to look at it, I questioned, why, did, why is it like this? Why did maybe the translator, why did they put this in one chapter? Then I begin, it sends me to, to research. I begin to realize I found one satisfactory explanation. And he said, this is a trilogy and sending one message. And the key to connecting these three stories is the technique of repetition. You realize that in these three stories, Moses brings us to the point by the use of repetition. And... And this scholar that I was reading, he said, this is Moses' way of saying, I only have one message in these three stories. Well, fair enough, because if you think about it, the birth of Isaac, what we have waited since Genesis chapter 12, then you begin to realize in Genesis chapter 21, only seven verses have been spent for that. And then you look at, the story of Ishmael, it, 13 verses was, were spent for the story of Ishmael, and another 13 verses were spent for Abimelech. 
The question there is that, does it mean that the story of Ishmael and this, this, the story of Abimelech more important than the fulfillment of the promised son? What is happening here? What is Moses doing here? Now look at this repetition of words here. We know that the word laugh has been repeated several times in verses 1 to 9. Sarah laughed and others will laugh with her. And then in verse 9, you also read that Ishmael laughing. And then we see the word heard in verses 9, 21 being repeated over and over. That's a story about hearing. And then the story of Abimelech, which is focusing on the word swear. It's about oaths several times. In, in putting all these three stories together, there is one message that Moses wants us to get. Notice that God has fulfilled the promise of giving a son, but instead of all laughter, instead of chapter 21, be filled with all laughter, Ishmael suffered. That God heard him. And then in verses 22 to 34, the last story, it seems like we are encouraged to just continue to live the life of trust. The question for us is, or that paints to us the reality of life. We rejoice in the fulfillment of God's promises, but there will still be brokenness in our world, and we will continue to live a life of trust. When we look at it, we realize this is the reality of life. Moses wants his readers in the wilderness to realize, you might be thinking, Akala ko, Lord, you are a God who is good. Akala ko, you are a God who will accomplish his prom your promises. Why are we in the wilderness? And Moses is trying to tell them, this is the reality of life. You will rejoice in the fulfillment of God's promises, but there will still be brokenness. You are in the wilderness. But continue to trust God because he will bring us to the promised land. So what should be our attitude in this reality of life until God fulfills, fulfills all his promises? Isn't this what God also wants us to realize as we are also in the wilderness, going towards our own promised land? Don't we have to realize this truth of life? Today, I'll be circling around this idea. We cannot live in an illusion that life will be perfect. But understand that until God will fulfill all his promises, until then, we would be rejoicing in every fulfillment of his promises. But we will continue to live a life of faith and care for the broken. This is our lives. We will rejoice in the finished work of Christ, but we will continue to suffer and, and live by faith, and we will continue to just care for the broken. I think that's the message in Genesis 21. So our attitude in life until God fulfills all his promises, number one, rejoice in every fulfillment of God's promises. While there will still be pain around us, there is pandemic 
we can rejoice. Our lives should be defined by rejoicing because we have a reason to rejoice as we look upon the cross. Verses 1 to 8, Sarah and Abraham were rejoicing. As we look at in this text, God will fulfill his word. And the doubts of God's people will be turned to obedience and rejoicing. As he fulfills his word. In Genesis chapter 17, 15 to 19, just take a pick in your Bible. And in Genesis chapter 20, verses 11 to 13, God promised Abram and Sarah that they will have a son the following year. To which both of them incredulously laughed. They both doubt God. They both laughed in unbelief. How could we have a son? And in fact, Moses said, why not Ishmael? But now God fulfilled his word. Now he fulfilled his word, verses 1 of 2, Genesis 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Look at those words, observed it rather keenly, and you begin to understand what Moses is doing here. He said, as he had said, as he had promised. And in verse 2, Sarah and Abraham bore him a son, or Sarah bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God has spoken. They finally had a son just as God had spoken. Just as God had spoken. Look at the God-centeredness of that two verses. Look at the word-centeredness of this. As if it is not already clear to us that they got the son only because of God. Moses wanted to say straight to our face. That however impossible might be the fulfillment of God's promises, God will fulfill his promise, says. It has nothing to do with Abraham. It has nothing to do with sorrow. When we look at this one, it is telling us it has all to do with God's word. Not only that Sarah and Abraham did not contribute anything, as verse 5 we are reminded, Abraham was a hundred years old. He was a hundred years old. But that God's primary purpose, why he did this, why he made it possible, is his word. It is his word. He honors his word. He fulfills his word. He fulfills his promises. We have to let it sink in, church. That it is not because of us, but because of his word. God's word is our security. Listen to this, because whatever God says, he can and he will do. He bound himself in his word. If he says that thing, he would do it. Look at this. Even here in the book of Genesis, we are still in the book of Genesis, seeing this character of God. 
Seeing this character of God, we are already given the assurance that the son of the woman in Genesis chapter 3.15, please don't forget Genesis 3.15, the one who would crush the head of the serpent will be given because the character of God is if he says his word, he will bound himself to his word, he will display his character by fulfilling his word. And indeed, God gave Genesis 3.15 to us, isn't it? Where the son of the woman was bitten in the heel, but he crushed the head of the serpent. Abraham and Sarah responded like a true blue believer. A genuine believer would respond. They worshiped God. Everyone who gets to see how God is faithful to his word, will respond to God in worship. I stand in awe as I look at, stand in awe of God as I look at the woman, as I look at Sarah, 90 years old. And not only 90 years old, she was actually barren. She never had a son. And she bore a son at 90 years old. I stand in awe, but I worship God because not only that he made the barren at 90 years old get impregnated, he made the virgin for a son. A virgin in fulfillment to his promise. Think about it for a moment. This are, we are talking about impossible things here. We are talking about Thing that, that if you begin to think you will be able to do that, it will make you crazy. It will make you a crazy person because these things cannot be done by any one of us. But our God did. Our God did, and it sealed the truth. That every single word, the Bible said, not an iota of his word will not be accomplished. This is who our God is. And we worship him for who he is. Abraham worshiped God by his obedience. If you look at verse 3 and 4. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him. Whom Sarah bore him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old. As God had commanded him. Abraham named his son Isaac in obedience to God who gave the name in Genesis 17, 19. And Abraham circumcised Isaac on the eighth day just as God had commanded him in Genesis 17 and verse 12. That's worship. Worship is responding to God in obedience. And re realize here, Isaac was the first son in the household of Abraham who was, who was circumcised on the eighth day. Ishmael was circumcised on the 13th year, on his 13th year, Genesis 17, 25, which makes us realize that the, that the covenant will not be passed on to Ishmael, but to Isaac. But notice that church, the giving of the son here, I cannot help but see the giving of the son brought obedience to Abraham. There's a grain of truth in it, right? 
If, if the giving of the Son brought obedience, how much more the giving of the Son? We are supposed to obey the Lord because of the giving of His Son, Jesus Christ. Secondly, Sarah worshipped by rejoicing. Genesis 21, verse 6 to 7, verse 6. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Even Abraham rejoiced. If you look at verse 8, he threw a great feast when they weaned the child. The name of Isaac means he laughs. Name your child, he laughs. And then we realize everything that had happened around this boy was about laughing. Here we find in verse 6 that Sarah laughed and others will be laughing over Sarah's blessing. But we ask, what's, what's new with Sarah laughing? Haven't you forgotten that she laughed when she eavesdropped? When she overheard the conversation between God and Abraham, wasn't she laughing then? Genesis chapter 18, verse 12 to 13. But the laugh in Genesis chapters 18, 12 to 13 was a laugh of unbelief. Here, it is a laugh of rejoicing. Verse 7 confirmed this, that we cannot look at the laugh here in a negative sense, because verse 7 says, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse child? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. From unbelief to disbelief. From ayaw maniwala to di makapaniwala. Two different things, right? From ayaw maniwala to di makapaniwala. And, and the second one speaks of being overwhelmed. Who would have said... That's, it. That's her question. Who would have said that to Abram that Sarah would nurse children? And the expected answer, Sarah expected the answer, no one. No one would have thought that I would bore Abram a son at his old age. This is an expression that Sarah was rejoicing. Sarah was beside herself. Sarah could not believe that she just delivered a baby. It's clear that he was re she was rejoicing. And we cannot help again but to infer, to draw, to get out something in there that when the sun comes, when the sun comes, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, he will be the joy of all peoples. He will be the joy of all peoples. Our lives should be defined by rejoicing despite of the brokenness around us, because of the fulfillment of God's promise when He gave His Son, Jesus Christ. We have an oasis in the midst of wilderness. We have a hideaway in the midst of brokenness around us. We have a place of refuge when all around us is dangerous. If Sarah and Abraham rejoiced, Already, though the son given to them was a mere assurance that the Redeemer's son will also be given. Then how much more for us who have seen God giving the son. We should rejoice. 
That's the place where we can rejoice in the midst of brokenness. Paul understood this. And Paul said, yes, you have conflicts with Judea and Syntyche, but rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Where do you rejoice? In the midst of a broken world? Rejoice in the Lord. We should be rejoicing by having our eyes fixated on the cross. That's why our goal every Sunday, I, I know that we have been battered through life, or we have been battered by life, we have to face a lot. And our goal on Sunday is to bring your eyes back to the cross, where your rejoicing is, where your joy is, where your security is, where your safety is, where your refuge will be. Rest in the finish or in the fulfillment of God's promise in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. We cannot rejoice elsewhere. You cannot fixate your eyes on things or circumstance. That's not where the rejoicing. Abraham and Sarah, they still have to face a lot of brokenness. But they rejoice because of the sun. So don't fix your eyes on those things. Yeah, minsan, instead of rejoicing, nakasimangot ka lang palate. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Moses must have been up for something here. And I realized, Moses, you did not give us at least a little time to just savor this. He must be up for something because he quickly brought his readers back to reality. Like, okay, rejoice, back to reality. Back to reality. I felt like you're killed, Joy. Should have spent one chapter for me to just savor this. Starting chapter 8, he built up something to put our faith on the ground. Lest we forget these truths. Let's move to the second point. While God has accomplished some of his promises, we have to know that God hears and continues to care for the broken. Second point, know that God hears and cares for the broken. Verses 9 to 21. There will still be broken things. How many of us have become positive? I realize that that word is supposed to be positive, but today when you say you're positive, you're actually, it's a negative thing. And we cannot not hear the pain of the people around us. We cannot. I, I realize even for myself, I need to repent before God. And we need to repent before God, church, because we cannot not hear the pain of the people because God hears them. Well, there was still feasting and celebration on the day that Isaac was weaned, verses 1 to 3. Maybe Isaac at this time is between 1 to 3 years old. Verse 9 says, But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. The laughing here Though it has the same word as the laugh in verse 6, it has a prefix which makes it a mocking laugh. If you have the ESV Bible with you, look at, at, at your footnote. You would read this, possibly laughing in mockery. 
And there's a play word in it. If the coming of Isaac brought laugh, which means rejoicing to Sarah and others, it also brought mockingly, mocking laugh to Ishmael. It reminds me of this divide in the book of Genesis that there will be offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. And Jesus himself said, I came to divide families. Father against their son and mother against their daughters because it is now about allegiance to Jesus. And this did not sit well with Sarah, did it? And Sarah was already annoyed with, remember, he was, she was already annoyed with uh, Hagar in chapter 16 when Hagar began to have contempt over her. And this happened, Genesis 21.10. So she said to Abraham, cast this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. What do you think is the mockery that Ishmael did? Uh, we're not told. But because of this mockery, Sarah insisted that they should go. For Ishmael will not become co-heir with Isaac. And I was thinking, did Ishmael just said to the one to three years old boy, you're, you're, you will be the heir, but you are not a legitimate heir because I am the firstborn. I do not know. Let's not speculate. It's not in the text. We just know that this caused the boy to be cast out from Abraham's household. Now realize here, it doesn't mean that there was a fulfillment of the promises that everything will be perfect. That everything will be perfect. It is the clear message here. Until all the promises will be fulfilled, the world will be far from perfect. It will be far from perfect. And some of us have a good job, and you love your job. Everything could have been perfect, but your son rebelled. You have a good job, you have a good family, but then you began to realize you're suffering from some form of weakness. Some of us have a good family and everything, but there always seems to be a problem somewhere. There always seems to be a struggle somewhere. Life could not be perfect. Why can't everything be just okay? Why can't everything be just perfect? Well, listen, that's life before Christ returns. That's life before Christ returns. And then you realize here, Abraham would have to suffer the pain of letting his son go. He can only prepare bread and water in verse 14, making sure that you have what you need as I send you, but he needs to send them. And look at that. He rejoiced, I now have a son, Isaac, but I have to suffer. But I th and I think the most painful thing ever happened yet in the life of Abraham. If God did not assure him, I will bless the boy, don't worry. 
But your son Isaac should be separated because my program will be through your son Isaac. And I realized if I'm Abraham, that was too painful. It was just too painful. Then I begin to realize this is the picture of life. If you're going through pain and you said, Lord, I'm a Christian, and why am I going through pain? Look at Abraham. This is the most painful thing that Abraham had suffered. To let your son go to that wilderness and you do not even know what will happen to your son. And what is being taught here is that we have to understand that God hears and cares for those who are in pain. He cared for the pain of Abraham. He said, don't worry, Abraham. I got your boy. But most importantly, he also cared for the pain of Ishmael and Hagar. He cared for their pain. He cares for the pain of the loss. We will see the common grace of God here displayed in the story. Just as he showed his common grace to Abimelech, he showed grace to Abimelech, just a common grace. His common grace will be displayed here. And we need to catch this church. We need to catch this. What we have to note here is the difference between Sarah and God. Look at Sarah. She saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, in verse 9. And then we read her words in verse 10. Cast out the slave woman with her son. For the son of the slave woman, did she not know the name of the boy, Ishmael? But she just called Ishmael the son. And not only that one, in chapter 16, Hagar was called the maidservant. That's better. But here, she called the Hagar the slave or the slave woman. The slave woman. This is to show to us that she did not care for them. Go, I, my heart is not in pain. I want to get rid of you. Just let them go. However, God, though he used this situation again to bring everything according to his plan, Isaac should be separated because he will continue his plan through Isaac. He cares for the pain of Ishmael and Hagar. In verses 15 to 21, Ishmael will still, call, will still be called the boy. Never that Ishmael was called for his name Ishmael, he was still called the boy. But God treated the boy in accordance to his name Ishmael. Go back to Genesis chapter 16 and verse 11 for a moment. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. And what's the reason for that? Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Ishmael, El is God. And the other part of the name means here. Literally means the name of the boy is God hears. But in the explanation in Genesis 16 to 11, Particularly, God hears the pain. God hears his pain. And we see it here displayed. Verse 15, please. Genesis 20. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes 
Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. Every mother here would understand this. Yesterday, I saw Pastor Japheth and Joy in the car with Marcos and, and uh, Yuan. And we know we love our children. You cannot listen to the pain of Hagar. She put her boy there. She could not look and see while her boy is dying. And as she sat opposite him, God knows her pain. She lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. Well, we are just shown that the boy is the focus, but clearly it is also hearing the voice of Hagar. And the angel called from, to God to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. Twice here, verse 17. Again, fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. God knows the name of the boy, and the name of the boy is Ishmael, which means God hears. Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And we see how God blessed this boy. He grew up at least normally and even blessing of God. Common grace again. But listen, God heard the voice of the boy. And the voice of Sarah, the pain of the boy, and the pain of Sarah, God heard. What Sarah did not care at all, what Sarah did not care at all, God hears. God hears it. We need to understand this, church. God hears the pain of the people. And God will use his people to address this pain, for he will glorify himself through his people. We cannot not hear the pain of the people because God hears them. Ishmael will not be part of God's people. He will not. In fact, Hagar got him an Egyptian wife in verse 21, signaling to us there's this is the direction they will take. So it's like Ishmael here is representing the world. And God cares for the pain of those who are in the world. He hears. And we ought to hear them too. So we can rejoice. We can rejoice with the fulfillment of God's plan. We can rejoice in the gospel. We can rejoice in Christ Jesus. But we always have to know the pain around us. And because God cares, we should care as a church. We cannot be Sarah. Uh, sorry, we cannot, yes, we cannot be Sarah. We cannot. In the same place, this is a beauty, this is field chapter. In the same place, Genesis chapter 21 verse 14. It's the same place that Genesis chapter 21, verses 22 to 23, where, where Abraham worshipped God, Beersheba. Look at that. In verse 14, it was where Hagar suffered. And in verse 23, it is the place where Abraham worshipped. 
which tells us the same place that worship happens, pain is all around. In the same world that we are worshiping God today, brokenness is around us. I hate to be the, to be the one to burst your perfect bubble. But just, as, just like Moses, I want to keep us grounded to the reality of life. We are not yet in the promised land. We are still in the wilderness. Yes, we can rejoice in the finished work of God, but look around you. Look around us. Maybe that person beside you. Pain is everywhere. Your brother needs you. Your neighbor needs you. Someone else there needs you. Because you cannot walk several meters from your house without passing someone in pain. Unlike Sarah, who did not care for the pain of Ishmael, we should hear the cries of the people because God cares and hears them. I think one of our problem, church, is our apathy. And it needs to be addressed. We have to be separated, yes, rightly, by our obedience to God's word, but never in the scripture that we are to separate ourselves from people because we will not hear their cries. And instead, and because we separate ourselves physically, instead of just being separated because we obey God alone, it has resulted to some form of indifference and apathy on our part. We cannot be like sorrow, cared not, pain of the boy. Maybe the name of Ishmael is an opener, is an eye opener. God hears, and that's a good thing. But that's also the problem. Only God hears. Sarah did not. How about us? So we learned that in the side of heaven, our rejoicing is centered in the fulfillment of God's promise. But we have to understand that the world is still broken. We have to care for the pain of the people around us. The third component of life in the side of heaven is our trust in God to finish his work. Trust in the everlasting God to fulfill all his promises. Quickly, at the time of Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army said to Abram, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me hereby, God, that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants has seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done these things. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of this? Seven ewe lambs that you have set apart. He said, this seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, the place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore on oaths. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. 
Then Abimelech and Pekel, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in, a, in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And he sojourned in the place. That story there tells us we should continue to live life trusting God who already proven himself faithful. Trusting that God will finish and accomplish all his purposes. Abimelech, together with Fekel, Fekel, the commander of his army, went to make an agreement with Abraham. That's something strange because Abimelech was king. And by coming to Abraham with, with his commander, it tells us that he was greater than Abraham. And he seemed to be threatened by Abraham. He must have seen something in Abraham. In verse 22, it says, God is with you in all that you do. That's what Abimelech saw. And that's why he sought protection from Abraham. He might have heard about how God has blessed Abraham or enriched Abraham, provided Abraham with everything he needed, particularly a well, because if you do not have a well in the wilderness, you're dead. And we can treat with suspicion when he said, I don't know that my servant took your well. For how could you know that Abraham was enriched? But he essentially asked Abraham to deal kindly with me. Deal kindly with me as I have dealt kindly with you. Deal kindly with me, Abraham. Notice the word swear there. Swear to me. And Abraham said, I will swear. That's the key word. Actually used here three to four times. But everything that happens in this story about, is about oaths. It's about swear. Swearing. There was already an agreement between Abraham and Abimelech not to harm one another. But this time, Abraham wants to make a covenant with, with uh, Abimelech. The giving of animals, if you look at it, there's a lot of animals given. And the receiving of the animals, we could understand these are things of a ritual done if they are making covenants together. Some said they really cut animals in verse 27. Remember the cut animals in Genesis 15? That they were entering into a cut covenant? Well, whether it was a cut covenant or any other covenant, what is assured here? is that they entered into a covenant, particularly particularly that the well in Beersheba was dug by Abraham. Look at verse 30. It all boils down to that. He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. In fact, that's the reason why the place was called Beersheba. Now look at the word Beersheba. Beersheba means a well of seven. Beer means well, Shiva means seven. The number seven is sprinkled all around the story. Seven ewe lambs is being mentioned in verse 28, 29, 30 to 23. Seven, 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 because Moses wants us to see there that there are seven in there. What's happening is that this is a complete oath that Abimelech will not take the well. Now, what's with the well? 
The significance of this is huge to Abraham. Remember, this is a Philistine city. And Abraham was assured of safety in verse 24. And God assured that God will provide for him, symbolized by that well. No one now can take the well because a covenant was made. Abraham will thrive in Gerar, which is part of the promised land. Because God assured him. And for Abraham, this is not just between him and Abimelech. It was God showing his faithfulness to him, assuring him that in the promised land, I will provide you. That is why Abraham responded in worship. In verse 33. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. El Olam. The everlasting God. And the significance here is that God is eternal. The one who controlled everything and cannot be controlled by anything. Look at Psalm 90 very quickly and we're almost to the end. Psalm 90 verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all our generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then when you begin to study Psalm 90, you realize that the essence or the significance is that God holds our lives. He shortens it. He gladdens it. He takes it any time he wants. So the everlasting, one of the implications of the everlasting, the name of God everlasting in the scripture is that he holds everything from everlasting to everlasting. Now, what is the significance of that in the story? We begin to realize that God worshiped, or Moses worshiped God, the El Olam, because God controls all things. And if he controls all things, then just as he finished or accomplishes some of the promises, then he will also fulfill all the promises. God holds all things together. Thus, we can trust that he will not stop until he will accomplish all his promises. I remember the words of, what's the name of the mother-in-law of Ruth? Naomi. Naomi said to Ruth, when he heard about what Boaz did, she said, wait, the man will not stop until she will do everything to take you home. And looking at this, you realize, looking at this God, you will realize, this God will not stop to do everything until he brings all of us home. God bound himself to his word. He gave Isaac as he had said, as he had promised, as God has spoken. And as he was able to give Isaac through Abraham and Sarah at their old age because he said so, then everything here, this is God's word, everything written. We have seen the character of our God from Genesis to Revelation. 
he will too. Live a life of trust, church. This is our God. Worship him for you can trust that he will be faithful. Verse 23. Life will continue to be a life of trusting God. And everything will be okay. Genesis 21, 24, don't miss it. Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Why? Because of the everlasting God. Everything will be fine. We cannot live in an illusion that life will be perfect. But understand that God, that until God will fulfill all his promises, we would be rejoicing in the fulfillment of his promises, the cross, but we will continue to live by faith and care for the pain of others. The church, don't overly focus on a perfect life. That's just wrong. Rejoice in the cross. The goal in life is not perfection, but to know God more. Life is not about being free from problems, but trusting God in our problems. Father, we thank you and bless you, God, for this time. And thank you for all your promises. And thank you that while this is the reality of life, we know who you are. And we will wait until you'll be done with all your work. We honor you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.